This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash checkthelocks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks presents True Crime for the short on time. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying bite-sized true crime case. Before we get started, Olivia, as always, it's wonderful to see you. How are you doing? We're burning the midnight oil. Are you hanging in there with me? Are you doing okay? I'm about three coffees behind you, but I'm hanging in there. How are you doing? I am doing great. I am hydrated, caffeinated, ready to rock. I can feel my heartbeat kind of picking up a little bit. So this should be a good short on time episode. I don't know if you got a chance to look at my notes, but did this case look at all familiar to you? I never really like to read your show notes, if I'm being honest. I like the surprise factor. So no, I didn't really read it. But when you said something happened recently in the case, it kind of caught my attention as maybe it was something that I've seen like clickbait on the internet, you know, but I'm excited to hear what you got this week. No, I definitely get what you mean. I hold off on looking at yours sometimes, too, because I want to kind of have that surprise factor. But I will say, if you know me, you know that I like these older cases. And this case, I think, blends a little bit of the old with the new because it is an older case with a recent development. And I had never heard of it. So I'm really excited to share it with you. I'm excited to share it with the listeners. I know this is a short on time episode. You're short on time. I'm short on time. What do you think? Should we just jump on in? Jump right in, John. Awesome. On August 7th, 1975, fisherman Glenn Dixon and his son Hager were out on Indiana's Elkhart River near Mallard's Roost. At around 10.30 a.m., as the men began to cast their lines into the river, the fishermen made a startling discovery. There, floating about waist-deep in the water, was the body of a deceased girl. The men notified police immediately and then pulled the body to shore. Once on the scene, police estimated that the body had been in the water for roughly a day. The victim was wearing a Wawasi High School Class of 1976 ring with the initials LJM engraved on it. However, they were not able to identify the girl right away. At the time, State Police Sergeant Sid Fish shared that there seemed to be no visible signs of injury to the girl, and he believed that the cause of death was due to drowning. By the following day, the victim had been identified. She was 17-year-old Laurel Jean Mitchell from nearby North Webster. 
Laurel was roughly five foot five and weighed about 160 pounds. She had last been seen leaving her job working at the snack bar at the Epworth Forest Church Camp. The team planned on walking to a nearby amusement park called Adventureland to meet some friends, but Laurel never arrived. And when she hadn't returned home by 4 a.m. the following morning, her parents, Richard and Wilma Mitchell, filed a missing persons report. After her body was discovered, an autopsy was performed at Indiana's Goshen General Hospital, and it was during this autopsy that some heartbreaking details came to light. On August 18, 1975, Sergeant Fish shared that the pathology report showed signs of sexual assault. It was also reported that Laurel had been found fully clothed, but her jeans were open and unzipped. And according to an affidavit, the autopsy also showed that the girl had made a violent struggle to survive. Detectives investigated and interviewed residents who lived on the Epworth Forest Road, as this is the road that Laurel would have had to take to reach the Adventureland Amusement Park. However, police were unable to gather enough information to find a suspect or make an arrest. They also asked the community to help by calling in any tips that might help to solve the case. In fact, in an effort to assist the investigation, a group of citizens known as Citizens for Law Enforcement pledged to raise a $10,000 reward for any information leading to an arrest and conviction in the crime. But unfortunately, time passed and the case went cold. And so before we go any further, I just want to stop and pick your brain. What are you thinking of the story so far? I know for me, I had a really hard time imagining what her parents must have been going through, but I was just kind of wondering where you're at with it so far. This is just sad. Right now, for me, it just sounds like a young teenager who was working her summer job, was going to spend the evening at Adventureland with her friends, and some man just came and sexually assaulted her and killed her for no good reason. That's where I'm at right now. And it's just kind of got me down. Yeah, and I imagine being the detectives, you know that something foul has happened and you're doing everything you can to solve the case, but you keep running against these brick walls. It's got to be extremely frustrating. The other thing is you also want to make sure that this isn't going to happen to another young girl who's walking home from work or on her way to Adventureland or on her way to the mall, you know, so the, the police need to act fast in this case. Yeah, 100%. And I can imagine the community was probably very rattled, you know what I mean? Because this is a teenage girl and you don't know who else is at risk, you know? Now, even though the case had gone cold, detectives continued to work it over the following decades. And in 2013, so this crime happened in 1975, in 2013, detectives finally caught a break. A woman reported to police that she had gone on a date with a man named John Wayne Lehman. She shared that during the date, Lehman admitted to his involvement in a crime that he committed with his friend, Fred Bandy. The woman also told police that Lehman had shared details about the case, including anatomical findings from Laurel Jean Mitchell's autopsy. And as authorities continued to investigate, they found that Fred Bandy had also bragged about committing the crime. In 2014, a man who attended high school with Bandy came forward to share his story. The man told police that while at a party in 1975, Bandy had confessed to the crime and even knew the exact location where the body was discovered. This same story would be corroborated in 2019 when another man who had been at the same party came forward. Laurel Jean Mitchell's death was a shock to the community at the time, and according to the witness, when it was brought up at the party, Bandy stated that he and John Wayne Lehman committed the crime together. Now, at the time of Laurel Jean Mitchell's death, detectives collected her clothing and belongings for testing. A silver necklace, one earring, shoes, underwear, a sweatshirt, and her blue jeans were all kept. Now, what's really important to remember here is that DNA testing didn't exist in 1975. But now, armed with much better technology and witnesses coming forward, police could finally make a move. 
In December of 2022, the state police visited the home of Fred Bandy armed with a warrant to collect a DNA sample. Now, it's not yet known what piece of evidence they were able to recover a DNA sample from, but on January 15, 2023, the DNA analysis came back and showed that Bandy was 13 billion times more likely to be the contributor of the sample found on Mitchell's clothing than anyone else. On February 6, police arrested 67-year-old Fred Bandy and 67-year-old John Wayne Lehman in the connection to the death of Laurel Jean Mitchell. Along with arrest warrants, warrants to search the homes and property of Lehman and Bandy were issued. However, because this is an ongoing investigation, no news of any findings related to the searches have been released to the public, and the two men are currently awaiting trial. So wanted to pick your brain because this case kind of blew my mind that it happened in 1975 and they were just arrested like literally three weeks ago. So just thinking about these cops and these detectives who were like, we're going to keep working it. We're going to keep working it. And people probably retired and then new cops came on and took on the responsibility. It's just kind of a mind blowing story. So I was just wondering what you thought if you were feeling similar. I'm just wondering what John and Fred were thinking in their 67-year-old minds that with the way that things are happening and the fad of true crime and how many people are really diving into all these cases, why in the world would they brag about it at parties, to girlfriends they're dating? Like, I just don't get it. Where did they think that that was like, right? Did they think they weren't going to get caught? Did they think no one was going to tell on them? I'm glad they did. But like, people go to jail all the time in their old age. So, I mean... These guys got one coming. I mean, everybody's innocent until proven guilty, but I'm interested to see how this shakes up. Yeah. And what's really interesting is that in the research that I did, these were things that they confessed to back in 1975, but nobody ever reported it. So Bandy was bragging at a party in 75 to these two men and they didn't come forward with any information until like decades later. So, you know, I don't know if back then they were just like, yeah, you know, we did it. And just thinking that nobody would believe them or they weren't going to get caught or anything like that. But I can most likely assume that they did not think technology would be where it is now. DNA testing didn't even exist in 1975. And then to try to imagine something like that existing in 2023 is like impossible, I would imagine. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I think it's one of those things where to me, this really feels like karma or justice kind of coming full circle. And it's like, you're thinking for decades, you're getting away with doing this. And finally that justice kind of comes around. It's like, no, like you, you had a good run, but like now it's time to pay the piper. You know what I mean? I think another cool thing about this case is that they were able to get DNA off of the evidence from 1975 and run it with DNA like today. I mean, that's been decades and that's still there. So I think that's pretty cool to kind of show like what police can do. You know, if everybody could just go into these little evidence rooms and run DNA against everybody, you know how many crimes we'd actually probably figure out? Like I'll go sit in there in a little evidence lab and <laughs> test it against DNA. Yeah, and I just think it speaks to how well that evidence was preserved, you know, because we hear so many cases where, you know, something happens in the 70s, the 80s, even the 90s, but that evidence isn't preserved properly, and then you don't have anything to test DNA against. So I think, again, it just kind of speaks to the diligence of the detectives that were working the case, you know what I mean? But as far as the deadbolt test, I'm going to throw it over to you. Scale of 1 to 10, where are you putting this case? 
So I'm just going to put this one out of four. I don't really know the connection between the two guys and the young lady that they killed, but I'm sure it was just two young men setting out, saw a vulnerable young girl and took their chance. Maybe they didn't mean to kill her. Maybe that's why they found her in the body water. I'm interested to see what comes of this, but I'm going to put it out about a four. What about you? I'm going to go higher. I'm going to put this at a seven because I know I've talked about this before, but it's the randomness, right? This girl was just, I'm just walking from my job. I'm going to an amusement park. I'm going to have a fun night with my friends. Yeah. And then next thing you know, you're in a car with these two guys and that's like the last decision that you make. You know what I mean? And, you know, we talked about it when we talked about Gail and Nora Smith's death, but like hitchhiking, getting into cars with strangers, stuff like that was way more acceptable in this time and probably didn't think anything of it. You know, it was probably like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, hop a ride with these guys. And then the next thing you know, you're by a river getting sexually assaulted and potentially forcibly drowned. And those are the last minutes of your life, you know, and I think about, you know, honestly, I think about, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Like you go running, you, you know, you live in New Orleans, like you go to Mardi Gras parades. I think about, you know, my wife works in downtown Nashville. You know what I mean? Like, because it's so random and it seems like if someone wants to take you, they're going to try to take you. I think that's what's scary about it for me. So I'm going to put it at a seven. Well, I hope that for the sake of Laurel Jean Mitchell's family, if anyone is still alive and, you know, mourning the loss of her, I hope that these two guys will come out and give some sort of story and that if if they are guilty, that justice is served. Yeah. And again, you know, you are innocent until proven guilty, but the DNA evidence being 13 billion times more likely than anyone else to have committed the crime, it does look pretty solid, but yeah. You know, I would imagine that she's probably got some family that is still alive that would want to know what happened to her, you know? Yeah, well, we're definitely going to need an update on this case when the time comes. Oh, most definitely. Well, that is where we fall on the deadbolt test. Olivia's putting this at a four. I am putting it at a seven. But we want to know where does Laurel Jean Mitchell, the girl in the water, fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. You can find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out with us. We're in there all the time interacting. We would love to hang out with you. And as always, if you are interested in financially supporting Check the Locks, you can do so by becoming a patron. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks. We have a lot of different tiers, a lot of great benefits, exclusive mugs, T-shirts, stickers, all sorts of stuff just for being a patron. So if you like what we do, you want to help keep the lights on, that is the best way to do that. And if you can't financially support Check the Locks, we definitely understand just hanging out with us, listening to the show, sharing what we do with your friends and family means just as much, if not more. That is how we're going to grow this community and get out to as many people as we possibly can. So if you're hanging out with us, you're listening, you're sharing, just know from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate it so much. That is all that we have for this week's episode. As always, please make sure that you are subscribed to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week with a brand new, truly terrifying, bite-sized true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. We'll see you again next week. Bye.